All right, so I don't know about you guys, I find it hard to keep track of the calendar lately. It's just all sort of this blur of weeks repeating on top of themselves. But this, this week, it is six weeks until Easter. Six weeks. This was uh, the beginning of Lent this week, for those of you that follow that part of the church calendar. And I am certainly excited about Easter, but I'm also excited because it kind of feels like, for me, that's a marker of a closer return to normalcy. So we'll see how things go over, over the coming weeks, both here in our culture, but uh, by Easter, the, the snow will be melted. A lot more people will be, uh, have had the vaccinations, and hopefully, hopefully that means that we can be returning to normal more ourselves as well, just in our daily lives, but also here as a community. Being in this season of Lent also means that we are in a season of looking forward towards Jesus' crucifixion and also his resurrection. And during this time, we've been going through the book of Luke off and on for the past several years. And in this final stretch in the next couple of months, we're going to be finishing out the book of Luke. What that means for us today is we're actually going to be talking about Jesus' crucifixion. And I think this is a good thing to do in general. It's a good thing uh, that we could always do uh, for a worship service. But it seems appropriate to do it today at the beginning of Lent to think about the cross as we look forward to this, this Easter that is coming upon us. The whole book of Luke has been building to the cross. All of the Bible has been building to this point. It is often said that all of Scripture before the cross is looking forward to it. And all of Scripture after the cross is looking back on it. The cross is a huge deal. Christians believe that the cross is the hinge, not just of Scripture, but of all human history. It is the location where everything shifts. Through the cross, Jesus does what he came into the world to do. On a personal level, the cross is the basis for our being in right relationship with God. We are people of the cross. It is the most well-known symbol in Christianity for good reason. The importance of the cross cannot be overstated. So if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter 23, we will pick up where we left off last week in verse 26. That's Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 830. It's also printed out in your bulletin. We will read through verse 43, so a longer section of scripture today. Hear the word of the Lord. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. 
But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wounds that never bore, and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with them. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Three times in these verses, Jesus is challenged in the same way. The rulers scoff, the soldiers mock, and the first criminal rails. But they all make the same basic point. Jesus, if he can, should save himself. Their logic is ironclad. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Soon he will be dead. Now is the time to act. What can his death accomplish? As far as they can see, nothing. If the rulers or soldiers were in the situation Jesus is in, they would save themselves if they could. The criminal is in the same situation as Jesus. He is particularly frustrated. It's hard to blame him. Before long, he will be dead. The criminal wants Jesus not just to save himself, but to save him while he is at it. For those challenging Jesus, his lack of of action as he hangs dying is the ultimate proof that he cannot be who he says he is. You get the sense the rulers are relieved. 
They had seen Jesus do things they could not explain. They feared what he was capable of. Jesus' inability to save himself makes them feel quite smug. They were right all along. Jesus on the cross is the evidence they had been waiting for that their bias against him was valid. It always seemed like Jesus was one step ahead of them. Now they can enjoy their victory. All of those telling Jesus to save himself failed to consider an alternative explanation for why Jesus is hanging on the cross. They assume that Jesus thinks the way they do. Their thinking takes into account two main variables. The first is what selfishly benefits them. The second is what they have the power to actually accomplish. In the minds of those challenging Jesus, the only possible explanation for the scene unfolding before their very eyes is that Jesus is a fraud. They can see no selfish benefit for him in the cross. This must mean that Jesus has no power. If he did, he would do something to change the situation. Another possible explanation does exist. It is possible that Jesus doesn't think and act the way others think he should because that sort of thinking is wrong. This is a point Jesus has made throughout his teaching. Selfish thinking is sinful thinking. Way back in Luke 6, Jesus summed up his approach pretty well, saying, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who to and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus thinks and acts like God, his Father. God isn't focused on his own needs. His concern isn't how to increase his status or comfort. Whether or not God has the power to accomplish his purposes is not a thought that occurs to him. God's way of thinking is absolutely foreign to all those challenging Jesus to save himself, while it is completely familiar to Jesus. Jesus loves people as God loves people. You see this love play out in ways that 
boggle the mind in these verses. As Jesus is being led to the place of his execution, a crowd follows him weeping. Jesus tells them not to weep for him, but for themselves. His concern is for them, not himself. He says this through a mouth swollen by the punches of the guards. Jesus has been abused and humiliated. Soon he will hang from the cross, being dragged along beside him. As he walks to his execution, Jesus focuses not on himself, but on the women that are weeping for him. He is more worried about what will happen to them decades in the future than he is about what will happen to himself in a few minutes. He cares more for them than he cares for himself. While Jesus' thinking in this moment is exemplary, it is not totally out of the realm of how people sometimes think. It makes sense he would care for these women. They are there to support him after all. You can certainly find stories of people thinking about the future needs of those they care about in their dying moments. Soldiers expressing concerns for loved ones back home as they bleed to death on a battlefield. Mothers dying in childbirth, weeping that the child that they gave up their life for will have to grow up without a mother. What you cannot find is what comes next. Jesus is taken to the place called the skull, where he is nailed to the cross between two criminals. There he prays to God on behalf of those who put him there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says this as those responsible for his painful death gamble over his garments and mock him. Jesus prays to God on their behalf that God would not hold their ignorant evil against them. He is more worried about his murderers than himself. They don't know what they're doing completely. They would certainly be surprised in this moment to learn that they have nailed the Messiah to the cross, but they are still guilty. Jesus is hanging up there as a direct result of their efforts. They are the ones that made this happen. He doesn't respond with anger to these people. He responds with empathy. This is not a normal human response. It is unheard of. In these words Jesus speaks from the cross, the love of God shines through. Jesus loves people. He loves those who weep for him. He loves those that are killing him. 
There is unintentional irony in the things being said to Jesus in these verses by the Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers, and the first criminal. The fact he doesn't save himself is taken as evidence that Jesus is not who he says he is. It is actually the opposite. The ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, his chosen one, he is on the cross because he is the Christ of God. If he weren't, he wouldn't be hanging from a cross at all. They have ignored the prophecies that made clear what God's chosen one would do. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is nothing more royal than what Jesus is doing. He is taking on the forces of evil and death on the cross. He is dying for his people. Jesus does not hold back and send pawns to their death on his behalf. He leads the charge, knowing others will live because he dies. It is love, not nails, that holds Jesus to the cross. Jesus has proven his power throughout his ministry. Physical restrictions are not a barrier to him. Spiritual powers of evil flee before him. He could come down from the cross and heal the damage that had been afflicted on his body. In doing so, he would have been loving himself more than his people. This he could not do. Jesus is held on the cross by the knowledge that his sacrifice is necessary to save the people he loves. Billy Graham said it simply. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. C.S. Lewis gives a more extensive description of the scope of the love Jesus showed in the book, The Four Loves. He writes, God who needs nothing, loves into existence totally superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseeing, or should we say seeing, there are no tenses in God, the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the messial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of 
love himself, the inventor of all loves. In these verses, the one person that sees what Jesus is doing is the second criminal. He throws himself on the faithful love of Jesus. The criminal's awareness of his own dilemma is the necessary precursor for turning to Jesus. His situation is not what anyone would call ideal. He is going to die. It is not really a question of if, only when. The cross is a slow death through exhaustion. Breathing requires the victim hanging on the cross to pull themselves up. Eventually, doing so becomes impossible. The criminal would have felt himself weakening. He would have felt the cramps developing. Nobody comes off of a cross with a pulse. He knows his death is unavoidable. He knows it is deserved. We don't know exactly what crimes were committed to put this guy on a cross. Crucifixion was not a punishment that was handed out lightly at the time. His specific crimes don't really matter. The criminal himself acknowledges that his punishment is just, is just when he says to the other criminal that taunts Jesus, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Dying is bad enough. Knowing death is deserved would be unbearable. Every person is in a variation of the same dilemma as this criminal. We have no hope in ourselves. Death is a certainty for all. We are pretty good at ignoring death. Modern medicine allows us to live with the illusion that death can be put off indefinitely. It can't. Eventually all will die. A day will come when there will not be another medicine or treatment for what ails us. Some organ will no longer be able to do its assigned task. At that time, life will end. The criminal could count the remainder of his life in hours and minutes. We may have years or decades. There is still a limit on the number of breaths we will take. Eventually, our bodies will weaken and we will die. This is bad enough. What is worse is that death is deserved. The, spe the specific sins we have committed 
leading to condemnation are not really the point. What matters is that in death, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds just as surely as the criminal was. The criminal sees that he has no hope in himself. He places all his hope in the fact that Jesus is coming into his kingdom through the cross. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is an unbelievable thing to say at this moment. On some level, he gets what Jesus is up to, even as Jesus hangs dying on the cross next to him, being bullied by the other criminal, this guy gets what Jesus is doing. He has some sense that through his own death, Jesus is defeating death. This nameless criminal is the first person in the Gospel of Luke to really get what Jesus' kingdom is about. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This guy is the ultimate whosoever. He was a criminal being put to death. He had no power, only guilt. Jesus' victorious love was his only hope. He throws himself on the mercy of the king. Jesus responds to the criminal's faith with a promise. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The criminal will come into God's presence. The sin that separated him from God is taken care of by Jesus. Death, the consequence of sin, has been defeated by Christ. For the cross to make sense, we must come to terms with the situation we are in. We must place our hope in Jesus' faithful love the defeated sin and death. If you think you are basically okay, you will never recognize your need for the cross. We just realize the only solution for us is the love of God, Jesus embodied on the cross. The importance of the cross cannot be overstated. It makes us stop to acknowledge the reality of death. All will die because all have been condemned. In this way, the cross represents judgment. On the cross, Jesus shows the faithful love of God towards us. He overcomes what we cannot. The cross signifies we have hope. We rejoice in the cross. The cross is where Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Him doing so means that all who trust in the love he exhibited on the cross are joined to his kingdom of love.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we rejoice in the cross. We see it as this place of horrible judgment and despair, but we also see it as the place where Jesus Christ in love overcame that judgment and despair, took it upon himself that we might participate in the love of God. We thank you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. I ask that for each of us, as we look to the cross, we would see it for what it is, both an object of our, of our own judgment and destruction, and also the place where our own salvation was accomplished, Lord. We thank you for your love and for your mercy. We thank you for your son and all that he accomplished on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's